Buddhist Geeks Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism. Episode 249 Strengthening the Body Mind. We're joined this week by Zen practitioner and strength training expert Rob McNamara to explore an intriguing approach to strength training as a contemplative discipline. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. Hello, Buddhist Geeks. This is Vincent Horn coming to you from my new studio in Boulder, Colorado. This is the first interview back here in Boulder. And I'm stoked to be joined by a Boulder local and an old friend of mine, Rob McNamara. It's great to have you here, dude. It is totally a pleasure to be in the new studio with you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a pretty nice little spot. And uh, I think yeah. we're going to get it pumped up with some Buddhist Geeks vibes here in a sec. We are going to drop it like it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we do here at Buddhist Geeks. <laughs> exactly. Uh, just to say a little bit about, Rob, your background and kind of where you're coming from in this conversation. You um, Actually, I think the first time I met you was at Naropa University. Um, you were teaching, I think you were actually uh, an assistant teacher at the time, and now you're a full professor in psychology. You teach courses on transpersonal psychology, developmental psychology. Um, you're basically all up into the mind yeah. and how it works, how it functions. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And then another part of that is that you're also into the body. Um, you are a longtime strength trainer, and if people could see you, they would instantly recognize <laughs> that fact because you hard-earned physique. Yeah. And I also wanted to mention that you're a serious contemplative practitioner. Um, you've been practicing Zen, I know, very seriously with Diane Hamilton, who we've had on the show. Yeah. And before that, you had some introduction in the Shambhala tradition through Naropa. Absolutely. Um, and that feels like a good place to start is kind of to hear a little bit about how you got into these two different disciplines of like contemplative practice, mind, and then on the other hand, the body and strength training, which is oftentimes seemingly divorced from this other realm. Right. So I'd be curious to hear how you got into these two different fields. Yeah. Well, um, when I first started coming across meditation literature, it was, you know, from, you know, the boomers that, that kind of brought Buddhism here. And so in reading kind of Joseph Goldstein and and his work in particular, Jack Cornfield, you know, the that discourse most readily related to me as I understood my strength training practice. Mm. Just first reading meditation literature, like the way that I could make meaning was like some experiences that I had in the gym. And so I was like, okay, oh, like I kind of get that in this movement sense but I have no idea what they're talking about in terms of like stillness, you know? So that was kind of the, um, the intersection that first most readily made sense to me. Mm. And, um, at the time I was, I was, uh, <laughs> I was a major in philosophy and I was double majoring in physics and I was like super, I was going to become a quantum physicist. It was totally insane. And <laughs> I realized that, I wasn't so much in love with the mathematics as I was with the consciousness dimensions. And that's what got me into psychology. 
And so, like, just diving deep with philosophy and psychology, it doesn't take long before you kind of start coming across um, Buddhism and transpersonal psychology. And, and so then I started actually uh, reading about this whole thing of, like, meditation practice. And um, then I started reading about it, and I started to really connect it to... I, there's something that I'm doing in the gym that helps me access these qualities of consciousness or being. And so I, I started kind of watering both, you mm. know, like how do I actually deepen my movement practice in terms of strength training, but also how do I uh, inhabit stillness via my meditation posture. And those are kind of like two concurrent things that have just been working me. Nice. But the, but the heart of it has always been my movement. You know, like that was like home base for Rob. And... I followed that as long as hard as I possibly could, you know, and, and just at some point I, I switched and I was just like, I'm ready for a teacher. And that was a really cool kind of transition because I was always like, I'm doing my own thing. And as you can guess, and as you know, like with strength training, there, there really just isn't anybody out there. <laughs> it's not really a similar model uh, uh, no. as in Buddhism where you have teachers and No, people. no, there's yeah. actually nobody there to actually help you negotiate the depths of your being mm. through that practice. There's just nobody there. And part of me like likes that there is no support and it, it's all on you and like you, DIY yeah. style. Yeah, totally. It's like do it yourself. Mm. And I kind of reached this point where I was like, okay, I'm ready for a teacher. And and as soon as that switch made, and it's the classic, like when you're ready for a teacher, the, the, the teacher appears. And I had known Diane Hamilton for years before, loved her, practiced with her, put on events, and it was just radically apparent. I'm like, okay, it it's die. There's just no question in my mind. That's my teacher. And at the time, I wasn't even sure if she was taking students yet. So I was kind of like... Hey, you know, uh, I want to I practice with you. I want to teach with you. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and so I was saying, are you taking on students or do I need to take Gempo on? I was essentially going to use Gempo to get to Diane. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, fortunately, she uh, received me as a student, and that was kind of my official step into, into Zen. And, and that's been kind of a dive that's been happening. Nice, nice. And I know since you did that, I mean, you've spent a lot of time with her on retreats, doing sashins, just doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So you've been really kind of full dive into that world. Yeah. Nice, nice. So getting into this new book that you just released and wrote, it's called Strength to Awaken, which is an awesome title. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, having read a few books on strength training and sort of seeing what's out there, I was shocked first by the fact that this is probably the first book ever specifically written about strength training as a contemplative practice. And, you know, you hear people, at least I do hear people all the time saying things trite, like, you know, running is my spiritual practice or knitting is my practice. And then most of the time they just mean like they find some value in it that affects their mind. But you're talking about it really as a discipline in the same way that I think Joseph Goldstein or any of the teachers you've mentioned are talking about like a really rigorous practice and training. And it was clear reading your book, you're talking about something more really intentional that you're really including your mind and your attention as part of the practice. Right. And 
I wanted to hear how does that actually work? How does that work yeah. in practice? What is it like to strength train in a contemplative way? Yeah. Well, sometimes it looks just like everything. Sometimes when you, if you watch me train, it looks completely normal. It looks like on the surface, at first glance, you'll see the same kind of things happening, the same movements, the same activities. And other times you'll see uh, some really crazy stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not often that you'll see somebody kind of in full lotus and, you know, you know, in front of the squat rack. <laughs> it's just not common, you know. Or I'll, you know, I'll do these hanging inversions. There's this machine where you can hang upside down, so I'm doing inversions. That's just kind of weird to begin with. You know, everybody's kind of walking around. It's like, what's with the guy hanging upside down for five minutes? Like, who's, like, who's that? This is strange. Um, and then, oh, wait, now he's doing a backbend while he's upside down. So there's, there's some crazy things. That, <laughs> there's some strange things that are happening. So in terms of like objectively what it looks like, it can be very normal and it can be very kind of like, that's really strange. Um, and I like that. You know, sometimes like this particular form of practice looks very normal and ordinary. And other times it's like, I've never quite seen anybody do that before. And I think that's kind of um, part of the practice is we can be in the forms and we can be outside of the forms in a really fluid way. Mm. It sounds similar in some ways to meditation practice. Like if you're just watching someone sitting there, they're just sitting there. Right. So is it what's happening inside that's really the differentiator here? Oh, totally. Okay. And then yeah. could you give, maybe give like a, just a sense of what it's like to strength train in a contemplative way from the inside? Yeah. So... Um, most of the activity that happens in a gym is to get somewhere else. And so there's a tremendous amount of habituated distractions that are going on. And, and typically even the intention to get stronger is by definition trying to get somewhere else. And to make strength training into a contemplative practice, we actually have to stop trying to get somewhere else. You know, we have to actually look at the discipline as, as an invitation not to actually, you know, move in this particular direction so that I can, you know, get X, Y, or Z or achieve, you know, some, some end. But actually, how do I actually strengthen my capacity to inhabit what's here and to participate with the immediacy of what's actually here? And that's just an entirely different interiority. Right, and that, like that, actually starts to carry some depth, you know. And strength training in its more conventional forms, where you lift something till it like gets uncomfortable, and then you stop, and then you rest, and then you do it again. If you look at strength training in that context, strength training is actually way more interested in you getting weaker than you getting stronger. I mean, if we actually kind of really polish the mirror and just look very simply and very clearly, when you strength train, you get weaker. <laughs> and and yes, when you do that over time, you get stronger, right? But it's the process of getting weaker that is the the rich stuff. Mm. And so if you're going to step into strength training in a contemplative way, what it looks like and what it feels like is every single rep, I'm actually becoming more and more open, more and more vulnerable, and more and more intimate with how limited, weak, and present I am. And coming at that 
we find, and you can already feel it just in this space, there's like a stillness. You know, there's actually like a settling quality just talking about it, you know, and it's like that's the kind of strength that I'm interested in cultivating. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that the world is in an extreme necessity. It needs people to actually be radically vulnerable to what's here and to be really attuned to where we are limited, where we are not resourced, such that we can be the most skillful in those places. That's kind of like a little bit of a taste is that I'm actually not interested in getting somewhere else, but I'm actually interested in really being curious and really being open and actually embracing um, precisely the limitations that all of my organization is defended against mm. and I want to get out of, right? And so part of like cutting through and in, in like strength training as contemplative practice is, oh my God, <laughs> like here's that habituated response to get out of this, mm. you know? And, and like the human psyche, you know, Freud totally agreed with Buddha. Like the basic ground of the human psyche is like avoid pain, grasp after pleasure, you know, and strength training, it gets you to that point of, to facing that, that habituation so quickly. And in that sense, it's kind of like meditation accelerated, mm. you know, cause I don't know about you, but I spent a lot of time <laughs> figuring out how can I be comfortable mm. for as long as possible on my cushion? <laughs> I know that not many people do that, but maybe Maybe you're one of them. <laughs> I, I tried, <laughs> but my body was like, right. what are you doing? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and we can actually get for, per, fairly proficient at working with our posture such that we're comfortable. And that's not what the practice is about. It's not about being comfortable. It's actually about meeting that edge of your fundamental conditioning of like, I don't want to feel this, and I want to grasp after that. You know, like pain and pleasure. And strength training, just, you know, give yourself like 20, 25 seconds. Um, and you're probably going to be like face to face with your basic habituation around pain. Right. And mm-hmm. so, from a contemplative standpoint, how do we actually be really, really present and actually not fall into that unconscious state and check out? Mm. One thing I found really interesting, like a useful distinction, and I immediately saw how it related to my contemplative practice, was that you were describing um, the upper limits of the ego and then yeah. the lower limits. And that right. it's not just that we reach our limit and it's one limit, it's like a certain place that's the same, that they're actually different kinds of places we reach. Yeah. That sort of this process of checking out happens. Yeah, and could you say a little bit about that uh, in the strength context? Totally. And then I think it'll be clear how it relates, you know, to meditation too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so the ego, as I define it in my book, is its habituated struggle, right? So instead of a um, conscious participation with what is, there's an unconscious habituated struggle with what is, right? And the upper ego boundary, if you will, is there's a certain level of struggle and tension that is workable, that's comfortable, that's manageable. And anything beyond that, it's, uh, it's intensely defended against. 
you know. So as you're kind of lifting and as you're kind of moving, there comes a point where your struggle with the immediacy of the sensation becomes so poignant that you don't have any other option but to be really present. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it actually forces you into being totally present. And that's, that's really scary for the ego um, because being present in a very basic way does not have struggle. Right? And so the upper boundary is kind of like how do we actually um, move beyond our habituated struggles? And in my experience, that just usually involves an adoption of a more subtle, more sophisticated, nuanced kind of struggle <laughs> that shows up over time, you know, like, oh, I'm starting to see this new layer of the, my upper boundary. And that's kind of your ego growing in its capacity. Like stretching in a way. Yeah, yeah, totally. So we want to stretch that upper boundary so that you can actually struggle in more refined and precise ways with what's happening. And eventually the struggle kind of transitions to a participation. And that's like this big shift in terms of this fundamental conflict with what is to a willingness to like participate with what is. And when we're talking about embodied sensation and immense like uh, resistance that we're pressing into the world with, it's just a really rich, fertile place for practice. And, and the more you're able to kind of press into your vulnerability of weakness and continue to go, and it's beyond your, your conventions, there's, the, there's some really beautiful territory out there. There's some really beautiful territory. And that's kind of like stretching that upper ego boundary. And as soon as you stop, there's always the invitation to work with your lower ego boundary. And the lower ego boundary is, is essentially there's not enough struggle. <laughs> so we start to introduce struggles. you know, And, and this is kind of the classic like, like I've actually put the weight down. I like there's this nice release, you know, like there's this beautiful letting go. And it's like, thank God, right? Like full bodied gratitude and uh an immense release and kind of a pouring in of energy. But very quickly the habituated mind will start to introduce struggles about oh, I don't know if I wanna feel that again. You know, um, I don't know about this next set or it might be like start picking up kind of like there's this thing going on at work or I've got this thing with my relationship um, and <laughs> whatever it might be, I start introducing new struggles, mm. you know, and it might just be like <laughs> yeah, for me, like I hate TVs, it's just kind of crazy, you know, like or the music, this is this incessant need to have music at every point. Like, I love training it, you know, in the silence. It's one of my favorite things. So my kind of habituated thing is like, I'll get in a struggle. Like, these people are checking out again. Like, really? Like, you're just a zombie, like, kind of watching CNN as you're training, you know? Or, <laughs> or you know, like, is this song really playing right now? Like, are you kidding me? You know, and th these are like in the, in in between sets. Mm. My mind's introducing struggle with what is, and that's actually inhibiting my ability to recover, and to actually really plunge into um, a place of of radical peace and um, unconditioned 
restorative wakefulness. Beautiful. And, you know, just to draw some correlations with the meditative discipline, and I've had these experiences with different practices where, for instance, I'll do, be doing a practice that's very effortful and there's a lot of technique involved and a lot of totally. focus. Totally. Um, and then, and sometimes even built in where after those periods, you just let go and rest in a kind of open awareness, not trying to do anything. Yeah. And it seems like there's some relationship there between sort of effortful, intentional engagement and then just sort of, you know, intentionally just releasing and relaxing and opening. Yeah. Um, but it was so cool to hear you talk about that in terms of strength training because it made it yeah. more real for me in terms of what is actually happening there in meditation. Right. Uh, and it seems like both are really interested in bringing or cultivating some a capacity and then having that actually be present in the rest of life. Totally. Ultimately. Mm -hmm. So, so getting into how these things maybe work, could work together mm -hmm. and then also maybe how they're different. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to bring an illustration in that's stuck in my mind for years. Yeah, <laughs> and that is um, of, of this uh, philosopher named Ken Wilber, okay. who I worked for several years ago and, and who you also were uh, working with. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, when I first met him, I was just like shocked because this dude was really, really buff. Yeah. And he's <laughs> this sort of super geeky philosopher who reading his books, I would never have imagined he's also a strength trainer. Yeah. And he, he had an incredibly sculpted body. Yeah. And I was just like, whoa, what is going on here? How many philosophers do you meet and meditators <laughs> that are also like super buff right. and look good in a Speedo, right, <laughs> which right. he did. Yeah. Um, and so he, he sometimes would make this claim that from his experience that taking up strength training uh, later in his life actually did more to affect his meditation practice and his ability to be present than anything had in the decades preceding that. And I found that was like amazing claim. And he talked a lot about the importance of cross training in these different ways in the same way like an athlete mm -hmm. would sort of cross train or do different disciplines to help their main thing. Yeah. Um, could you say a little bit about cross training and, and how these things could work together? And, and, and specifically, do you see benefits for a lot of meditators in getting into a more body-centered practice? Mm -hmm. uh, and do, do you think that could help their other practices? Yeah, totally. The developmental capacity that most adults are working on right now is actually a integrative synthesis of body and mind. And so if we think of dialectical cognition as this um, awareness that actually can see polar opposites, and how do we actually allow them to co-arise and mutually arise? And the body and mind is kind of one, you know, being separate and being connected. Um, these are like fundamentally unresolvable tensions that are actually co-arising and mutually interpenetrating one another and creating who you are. And creating uh, a divorce between body and mind works for kind of one stage of adult development. But people who are kind of searching for growth and development are attracted to it, typically start to um, bump up against these dialectical tensions, these unresolvable paradoxes. And the natural gradient towards evolution of the human being moves towards greater inclusion 
greater synthesis. And so meditation starts to take on a whole new uh, a whole new texture when we start looking at dialects. It's no longer about getting to one fixed place. And and meditation in that sense is is usually about like let me get into being. Like let me liberate my awareness into the infinite sea of being, you know, or shunyata, or however you want to label that, that infinite um, unmoving presence. And that's like, that's a beautiful inquiry. And there's also this need to participate with becoming, whether it's acknowledged or not. Like it's for whatever reason, like the great mystery is happening. Like, infinite stillness is total dynamic becoming and there's this ecstatic urgency on this side of the street and that's where kind of strength training and meditation really talk to each other in a really beautiful way because one is how do we integrate how do we synthesize how do we unify how do we yoke together being and becoming in stillness in human form you know and that's like that's a serious, you know, contemplative practice of how do we do that. And on the other side of the street is like, okay, after you get off of the cushion, you know, and I'm actually engaging movement and doing this and participating with that and, you know, engaging the world of multiplicity and form, that whole thing <laughs> is is uh, how do we inhabit the same practices, the same qualities of liberation and engagement with life while we're lifting weights, while we're you know writing a business plan, while we're having sex. So um, I think that um, they work really well together in the sense that there's times when when the human vehicle, like your body mind should inhabit the posture of like like an unconditioned stillness right and it's just it's like it appears that human beings really need that <laughs> whether you consciously participate with it or not like every night you're going to go to sleep and you will not move you will fall into that deep dreamless sleep and you will plunge into something it might not be conscious but your sanity depends upon it as a human being. And likewise, whether you want to participate with it or not, movement, you know, like moving your vehicle is is actually absolutely essential. And doing more and becoming more is just as important. Um, and, and so strength training, um, it's kind of, you know, it's basic orientation is towards like becoming more, you know, and um, so that's one of the ways that they talk mm. talk to each other. Did that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like it sounds like to me there there is a benefit in engaging in a more movement based, body based practice. Yeah, and, and and for sure, I can look back at my own practice history, and and I see this with other people. Some people get into meditation through movement, like like your story, or right. like oh, a lot of people who find. Uh, meditation through yoga you know they do a lot of yoga and then they are hanging out at shavasana in the end and like wait a second something's going on here <laughs> yeah, yeah and then there are other you know geeks or uh disembodied heads that get into meditation or philosophy or whatever and then at a certain point they go wait a second i have a body right, right and i've seen both of those where people 
find there's something missing if they focused on one side of this this tension you're talking about, this body mind tension. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense to me that um, that there is a relationship or a connection there yeah, that people totally. often struggle with. Yeah. Uh, and get benefits from mm-hmm. that struggle. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and and I and I think another way that they talk is around conditioning and habituation, and. So movement and activity, like we have such immense habituation around kind of like doing this, getting somewhere else, going there. And that's why meditation is so powerful. And it it allows you to make object all of those habituated movements, you know. And so just by inhabiting stillness, you can see all this like crazy activity. And... Similarly, with strength training, when we um, there's like a range of well comfortability. There's a range of comfortability where you're willing to put in effort and then back off, and you're willing to relax and then add some effort. And there's like a safe window, and everybody has like their kind of preferred window. And my sense is that every human being is actually challenged to be more than that. You know, like some facet of your life requires a tenacious, ferocious, perhaps unconditioned effort and absolute devotion to some gesture of service in the world. You know, some truth, uh, some love that you must become, you know, and it's going to require that you go beyond all of your habituations. And likewise, you're going to actually need to surrender and actually let go in a way that challenges your basic fundamental habituations. Mm. And life, like the world of form, demands that, Mm. you know? And um, that's kind of another way that they, Mm. they're always in conversation, you know? Yeah, it sounds like you're kind of pointing to this inseparability of complete engagement and complete surrender all at the same time, right, essentially. Right. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean that's that's non-dual. Exactly. Right there. Yeah. Non-dual weightlifting. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 And 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 this non-duality is the only really sane response to any of this. <laughs> you know, is there's these unresolvable dualities that are arising that we must participate with with our full elegance, and that's really the only sane option that I see, at least. Um, everything else is kind of a substitute of insanity that happens to just be more comfortable for my particular conditioning, you know, and, and, um, that doesn't serve a whole lot. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, 
as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.